Howdy, Rob Lee here, and we're going to get back to the truth in this art, but I want to do a little exercise with you. As you know, the truth in this art is an audio experience, so I'm going to ask you to do something a little different this time and visualize with me. I'm thrilled to reintroduce you to Forged Eatery, a true gem that captures the essence of farm-to-table dining in Baltimore. At Foraged Eatery, they have mastered the art of sourcing local and seasonal ingredients, resulting in a menu that will leave you in awe. Their commitment to quality and to flavor is simply unmatched. Picture yourself, see it's the visual, picture yourself uh, savoring their mushroom stew, a comforting and aromatic dish that transports you to a world of culinary bliss. The depths of flavor and the carefully selected ingredients will tantalize your taste buds. You can swap out and insert the focaccia, which is heavenly, or the irresistible cornmeal fried happy oysters. Each bite is a celebration of culinary mastery. Forged Eatery goes beyond being simply a restaurant. It's an immersive experience where the menu evolves with the seasons. Each visit promises a new and exciting experience for your taste buds, making every moment unforgettable. So, fellow food fans, fellow food lovers, it's time to discover the magic of Forged Eatery. Let their innovative approach to dining and their passion for locally sourced ingredients transport you to a world of culinary excellence. Don't miss out on an extraordinary dining experience. Plan your visit to Forge Eatery today and let your taste buds revel in the true flavors of the season. It's time to indulge in a gastronomic adventure that will leave you craving for more. For more information, visit forgedeatery.com. Welcome to The Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today, it is my pleasure to be in conversation and to welcome my next guest, the Executive Director of the Baltimore National Heritage Area and a champion of promoting Black history and cultural heritage through programs, outreach, and grant initiatives. Please welcome Shanti Daniels. Welcome to the podcast. Well, I'm glad to be here. It took us six months to get here, so we're here now. Well, we, you know, when it happens, it happens. It's supposed to happen when it's supposed to happen. It's true. It's true. So, you know, and it's, it's great to be here on site, by the way. I was kind of like popping around a little bit. I was like, oh, it's history. History over here. I was like, I like this. I like this. Yes, welcome to uh, Union Square, Holland's area. Um, you are sitting in the home, the former home of H.L. Mankin. Henry Lewis Mankin, for those who don't know H.L. Mankin is, and um, the people that respect him the most call him the sage of Baltimore. I have my own personal opinion about uh, Mr. Mankin, but that's my opinion, um, and this opportunity to be in this house was a big deal for the heritage area to find a permanent home yeah. as an office space, so um, I'm not mad about that, but... <laughs> Um, it, it is the home of H.L. Mencken. So we, we kind of have like the location part, right, kind of mm -hmm. covered. So before we get to like the main crux of the conversations, we have a few topics to talk to. You got the, you got the notes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, can you tell the, the listeners out there a bit about yourself and, and, and what you do? Like I think 
Obviously, there is an intro that I do, but my intro is always cut and paste. This is coming from online. I use ChatGPT. Put this in. This is the guest. Okay. So I like to have the guests really articulate who they are and what they do. I think there's more power in that. Well, my title is Executive Director of the Baltimore National Heritage Area, and basically my, um, my real function is to manage the organization, um, facilitate the vision of the organization um, through a number of different ways. Um, grant funds, producing programs that benefit the residents of Baltimore, um, my interest is more specifically the youth uh, of Baltimore as opposed to um, the older generation because they have their own history of Baltimore. Mm -hmm. But the youth do not have a history of Baltimore um, as far as the historical um, identity of Baltimore on a national level. So that is one of the things that is a part of my responsibility. Then comes the day-to-day -day operations of reports, um, personnel management, um, office management. So those are the things that, and as an executive director, uh, we're just going through a five-year uh, strategic plan. And one of the things that was mentioned in my, um, in the interviews that were taken by individuals in the community is that I am a convener. Mm. I am the one that brings people together to have conversations about um, where we're going, how we attract tourists, how we continue to narrate and um, the story of Baltimore. So that's, that's another thing that I am, is I'm a convener. Yeah. Um, and the organization is uh, the glue with our grant funding and keeping our cultural and heritage institutions um, moving forward, yeah. operating. Um, we continue to operate during COVID and in supporting our, our our partners. One of the things that the partners had a real problem with it was operations while they were closed. So we changed our grant program in order, we pivoted to yeah. more of an operational grant funding instead of a programming, because they didn't really need programming. Right. They needed operational funds. Um, of course, ARPA and all these other programs helped them, but sometimes you just needed a little bit to carry you forward until that, till those funds were dropped in your account. So that's one of the bigger things. Um, the other thing is working very closely with smaller museums. So I am not talking about museums like the BMA, um, AVAM, AVAM is medium, I would say, but it's still, it has its own following, it has its own uh, funding base, sure. and it's different. But we don't really um, work that closely with or fund big projects for the BMA, um, the Walters, um, the other museum I'm thinking of um, that uh, really kind of like doesn't need it's not a museum, so Fort McHenry is not a museum, but it is a historic site. Yeah. So we don't really actively solicit uh, applications from them. Sure. We are looking at the smaller, medium size, the BMI, the Baltimore Museum of Industry, um, the Women's Heritage and Cultural Center, um, little small museums that are niche museums that are really tell the story of Baltimore, yeah. because they're here, but they tell a more global story. Um, the Streetcar Museum yeah. is here. So those are the museums that we support. So as an executive director, it is my uh, main responsibility to 
see the vision that these things are carried out through our uh, management plan and through our mission statement. Thank you. That's, that's great. I think um, it, it gives more life to like, what happens here? What do they do? You know? And I, I think there's a couple things that, that definitely come to mind. You mentioned vision at the end, right? And, you know, I always like look at folks when I'm pitching ideas like this would make sense to do this. I'm of this. I'm from here. I know this, all of this stuff, but also I'm 38. So that's another thing, but I've seen things, you know, and it is, it is sort of one of those things of when I'm pitching an idea to someone, I'm like, either they get the vision or they don't get the vision. They understand why this is a good idea or they don't, but it's not my job to audition is to pitch it and it's vetted and all of that stuff. And the other side of it is, um, I, I love this this notion of working with some of the smaller like niche institutions because of oftentimes, I think folks don't know that oh that's here or even the conversation of Baltimore is the city of firsts and look at all of these lists of firsts. So I think that that's really really great and we're gonna put a pin in, in some of that stuff and I want to go back to two sort of like sub questions that I have on this initial one. So this one I like it I like this question a lot. Um, Finding our calling isn't always a direct line. Um, sometimes it's like my my my, uh, my chords when I came in here, and it's just like I gotta untangle this. Um, tell me about a time, like you know, during your like professional life journey, where you were encouraged to explore, whether it be explore places and getting something out of that in that way, or explore like different career paths. Tell me a bit about that. Oh man! Um. <laughs> See, it sounds different than the room when I wrote. Well, right? <laughs> yeah, it does sound different. But the, the thing about it is that I have um, how I arrived here is just a really weird kind of story. But let me go back. So um, I'm I am a boomer. Um, so I just want to let your readers know I'm a boomer. Um, I have a very uh, how should I say contemporary. Uh, lifestyle sure. as a boomer um, I'm right on the cusp so there is a time when you are in your unless you're in school to study history or be a you know archaeologist or something like that there's a time when history is just put on the shelf yeah. You learn it in social, uh, you learn social studies in grade school, you learn your civics in high school, and then you move on, and you, unless you're really interested in it, you kind of put history on the shelf. Um, I grew up in um, Utah. I read that. <laughs> yes, he did. And um, no, I'm not black. I am black, <laughs> and no, I'm not a black Mormon, okay? So let me just clear that out for your listeners that I'm not a Mormon. Um, I um, grew up in Utah. Um, a very different kind of life for me. Um, whereas I have my family core and my immediate uh, tribe was African-American, African-American community. I went to a parochial school, so my friends were white. Mm -hmm. And then I would come across the fence and through the back fence and come home. So my experience has always been very multicultural. Sure. My friends have been white, Italian, uh, German, um, and we went to a Catholic school, so Roman Catholic, uh, Catholicism is all built in there. And then I would come home and I would be with my black tribe and go to Pentecostal church, go to uh, Baptist church. So my experience has always been multicultural. Yeah. I am one of five grandchildren and I am the middle. 
<laughs> Why does that relate to anything? Because I have always been an independent spirit. Mm-hmm. And because of the multicultural um, growing up, the independent spirit, because I had to occupy myself, my, my siblings are five and 10 years younger than I am. And then my other uh, cousins are three and four years older than me. So I was in the middle of absolutely just my own world. Yeah. And um, that, that, that upbringing, made me curious about other people, how other people did things, why other people do the things that they do. Um, I don't particularly like the word code switching, but I I got really good at it. Mm -hmm. And so it carried me all the way through. So um, I want to fast forward because I'll go back to the profession, but I'm going to fast forward to my arrival in Maryland. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I want to fast forward because it will give you some perspective in how I got in this this place. When I arrived here with little or new information about African American history other than the NAACP, because that's what my grandfather said, you always want to have your NAACP card and you always want to have your voter's registration card. Those are two things that black people need to have. 100%. Don't care whatever you do. And please don't go to the train station with your greasy chicken uh, sack. That's That was my grandfather. So you get an idea where I was coming from. So, um, you know, and so when I got here, I think the only African-Americans that I had really heard anything about was Thurgood Marshall, mm-hmm. Cab Calloway, Billie Holiday, and Martin Luther King. So, of the four, <laughs> of the four, where are three of them from? Uh, Baltimore. Baltimore. <laughs> um, so, I had an experience of working in D.C. I just felt, at the time I arrived here, which was 22 years ago in Maryland, D.C. area, um, D.C. was not the place that it is now. Sure. It was still kind of carrying the... Uh, the Chocolate City. Yeah, I was waiting for you to say it, Chocolate City. It was still carrying that, but I could see it was turning pretty mocha, and now it is latte. It's like when people uh, say, "What well, yeah. do you want your coffee?" I'm like, "Look, can you just make mine black?" Just black, right? <laughs> so I, um, so I, so I was uncomfortable. Yeah. I was just uncomfortable because I'm so used to a multicultural place. Yeah. So um, I'm working down there and I came to Baltimore for a business trip and I was hanging out and I was like, this place reminds me of another place I've been before, which was San Francisco Bay Area because I lived there for 22 years. Arrived in San Francisco, another story, (laughs) but I arrived in San Francisco because it had the most, my mother moved to Los Angeles with her, uh, with my stepfather and LA was too, uh, segregated for me right and I went to visit my aunt in San Francisco and I was like oh this is where I need to be (laughs) because it was just it was a multicultural explosion it was just all but I want to get back to my my story while I'm here so I'm going all over the place I'm going tangential here right um I came up here and I saw people of every ethnicity um every shade that were just hospitable yeah and i said this is where i should be this is where i should be but as things have it 
I still got to work down in D.C. I still got to live in Prince George's County because that's where my money's coming. I don't have a job here. Where am I going to go work here? I don't know anybody. Um, and so I got really bored with the job I had, which was a um, classified sales manager and administrator to a government magazine. Like, like those details right there, like that. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, this is so boring. I'm just dying, you know what I'm saying? And a friend of mine said, why can't you just take the money and just sit there on your computer and, you know, internet serve? I said, I do not want my brain to atrophy. Mm -hmm. um, I want to experience and know something and grow my mind. So um, I came up here. And I decided to go into tour guiding. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I took some classes, I did some research, I sent out my resume, and a small uh, tour operator that a lot of people know about is Baltimore. I'm giving them a shout out, Baltimore Rena Tours. Um, there, we call him Mr. Maryland. Um, he interviewed me, he had just bought the business and he was looking for African-American tour guides that would do what they call step-on guides. Step-on guides are the ones that get on the bus with people and they take them on, when you see those large buses going all around Baltimore, yeah. that's the person that's giving them a narrated experience. Well, if you don't know anything about the city, what do you do? You go home and you open up your computer and you get books and you get everything that you possibly can and you start sucking it all in. You just start absorbing it like a sponge. <laughs> and that's when I got to know that I was sitting in a place that had more African-American history and more connections to who I was, to my journey. Mm -hmm. And I said, this place is the best. Yeah. And so I, I did the, the tour guide thing, and then I got a job with um, the Baltimore City Heritage Area as an urban ranger. And those are the people that give walking tours downtown. So I used to give walking tours of uh, downtown, Heritage Walk as they call it, uh, Mount Vernon, and I was also the only, for a long time, the only African-American that could give a tour in Pennsylvania Avenue. All of that was based upon books and research, not right. lived experience. Right. Because now I'm meeting people that are giving me the real story. Mm -hmm. Okay, they're telling me, okay, you can read that book if you want to, but this <laughs> is the real story. But in 20 years that I have been here, it is like why I love what I do, why I respect Baltimore from a historical point of view. Yes, and I'm going to say it, Baltimore has challenges. Yeah. But, but what I'm gonna say, Rob, is that Baltimore doesn't have any more challenge than any other city I've ever lived in, mm -hmm. okay? Prince George's is set up in such a different way. You don't get it like you do for a city. Yeah. They got problems. DC's got problems. Chicago's got problems. And I've been to every single one of those places. I've been to Los Angeles. I lived in Los Angeles. Yeah. And I will tell anybody, Los Angeles had probably 200, if that many, gang members when I was in high school in Los Angeles. 200. That was Bloods and Crips. Mm -hmm. The administration of the Los Angeles Police Department and the Sheriff's Department admittedly 
let them get bigger. Mm-hmm. They let it happen. And then it just exploded. Yeah. And it became really more of a internal cultural problem because they were killing people and families and the whole shebang. Very similar to what's going on in Baltimore. I don't know if it's gang related, but I will tell you, it is no different. Mm-hmm. Every city has its challenges. It's just what I tell people. It's not a joke, but casually I tell people the reason why we get top billing mm-hmm. because B is at the top of the at the top of the alphabet. Yeah. Go down the list: Baltimore, <laughs> Chicago, mm-hmm. Louisiana, blah 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 blah. We we're at the top, so we get it all. Yeah, and. I'll, I'll throw it. I mean, we're 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 speaking the the same language. Yeah. You know, and you know, as a, I'll I'll, I'll give you this detail. I, I think I'm, I think I haven't shared on this podcast before that I'm I have two older half siblings, mm-hmm. but I was already like a teenager when I met them. Mm-hmm. So I always have been like the older brother, and it's like, yeah, you're the middle child. I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> That's kind of my energy. Not, yeah. I have a younger brother, and I have these two older siblings. Like, yeah, you're like little Rob. I was like. Nah, I'm very much an independent thinker yeah, and yeah. I'm the traveler. I'm the one that dove into this, you know, podcasting mm-hmm. back in 2009 before it even people are like, what, what's, what's a podcast? And I've been doing it as, as long just out of my own interest. And that goes back to sort of that vision thing of, well, I know this makes sense. And I think getting the real story, that's a key thing that I, I, I heard when you were describing of like, you know, you're, you're getting sort of the, in this career trajectory, you're getting sort of the, I'm learning this from the books and so on, and that's giving me this sort of like baseline, but also let's make it more well-rounded. What are the people who have lived it? What are mm-hmm. they saying? Mm-hmm. And that in, is, is part of what this podcast is for. You know, it's art, culture, community. And people say, oh, well, it's got art in the title. It's like, yeah, culture and community are a big piece of it because they they feed them, they feed that, they feed yeah. the art. So having a sense of, you know, what is the culture in Baltimore? One could say DIY is a big thing here. Mm-hmm. And that's gonna pop up in the art. That's gonna pop up in the business owners. That's gonna pop up in how communities are organized. Yeah. And so it's like, those, all of those conversations, they need to intersect. So, yeah. so, so speaking of which, I, I want to hit you with this question. Um, so it, it, I read that there it's at times like this sort of disconnect, and I think it's a really good place to have this. It's sort of a disconnect observed with, with regard to the history in Baltimore um, and, and how like the, um, so it's a disconnect with, when it comes to the history here. And I'll even add to it. It's like some stories and some voices they get the chance to say what their story is and what their Baltimore is and so on, or their like heritage is and others. It's like, eh, you can quiet down, less about y'all. How do, how do you see like your role in the, 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 in the role here in Baltimore um, National Heritage Area, um, like supporting and like, bridging that gap? It can be challenging um, because everybody wants their story to be front and center, okay? Um, if you look at Baltimore historically, you have, okay, so you had indigenous people here first. Mm-hmm. Then you had the white Europeans come in and push them out of the way, take over the land. Um, and then, then with that, they bring in enslaved or indentured servants to be here. Mm-hmm. Then following that, you have a... A, 
insurgents of immigrants that came here um, escaping war and unpleasantries in their country. Speaking of the Irish, who were lower class, not identified as the uh, the uh, the blue bloods mm -hmm. of the Europeans, so they were treated like garbage. Um, and then you have a whole litany of other people that came here. Mm -hmm. Now, why do I put that out there? Is because whose story gets to be told first? Yeah. None of them. Collectively, collectively, they made Baltimore what it was. Unfortunately, the majority of Baltimore was built on enslaved and indentured black people. Mm -hmm. Then you come and you put the layer of the Europeans saying, well, we don't want to talk about that. Yeah. We did our part. We did not con uh, concede to the South. We fought it as long as we could. We don't want to talk about that. So everybody's history gets pushed out to the front except for African-Americans who are standing in the shadows with so much contribution mm -hmm. to the building of this city brick by brick mm -hmm. that it, it deserves to be brought to the front now. We are now in a renaissance. Mm -hmm. May not be Harlem Renaissance. It may not be the renaissance that happened in, in what, 20 years ago when Bill Clinton moved to Harlem. But we are in a renaissance. Yeah. And it's time to recognize those people that put their life, their limbs, their blood in building the city. Now, how do I reckon that yeah. as a heritage area? Anybody has an opportunity to come to us and ask us, will you support this project? Will you grant this project? That's how we do it. I don't, as a black woman, people would think, and they do, and they do put me in that position. As a black woman, you should be one to tell my story. Mm -hmm. I would not be, I, I can't say fair, equitable, and equal if I take one story over another story because right. I'm a black woman. Right. This is an organization. You didn't ask me for my personal opinion. Mm -hmm. You're asking me from an organizational point of view. And from an organizational point of view, everybody's story is important. Mm -hmm. Yes, I do have affinity to black stories because that's what people want. Yeah. It's sort of like the news. If it bleeds, it leads. People right now want to know about black people because they have not known. Yeah. So you're going to give them what they want. And, and that's, that's one of the things that I encounter in, in doing this series, right? So uh, as, as I touched on earlier, I'm a black guy that's almost 40, mm -hmm. and I'm from Baltimore. So the way I curate and the way I select people, everybody doesn't come on here. I don't invite everyone on here. There are some people who's like, I, I don't have a lot of interest in kind of how you go about things or what you're well, doing. I, feel, I, I, I just feel, that makes me feel so warm inside. <laughs> I feel so privileged. <laughs> but, but in it, you know, the sort of sensibility is, is sitting there of well, this is my perspective or what have you. Now, as it gets to a spot where, let's say, this becomes a project that's like fully funded, I have to think of these sort of other considerations. That's a, that's a factor that comes into play. But also, I've had folks who would hit me in the DMs that will question how black I am. 
will question how much of a Baltimorean I am mm. because it's like I'm broadening out what that narrative is based on what my interest is. And folks will ask me, how are you curated? It's like, whatever interests me. I'm going to have this sensibility because I am this, but also I'm into a lot of other things that well, catch my attention and curiosity. We're not, as black people, we, we don't have all the same interests. Right. It's not a monolith. <laughs> and we're, not, we're not monolithic, and, and white people aren't. So why do you expect me? Because of my skin tone? Mm-hmm. No. Now, I do like some, some beats to my music, if that's what you're going to ask me. I want to hear some rhythm in there. <laughs> but you'd be surprised at what I listen to on my serious radio. Uh, okay? Same, same thing. See, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> and then a person that grew up in Utah, do you know the first music I ever heard? <laughs> was definitely uh, nobody would even know who this is, but David Cassie and the Partridge Family. I don't know this. So okay, okay, <laughs> the Osmonds. So when you when you when you have that kind of learning and that kind of environment, you you that makes me that that's what takes me out of the box. Mm-hmm. Okay, it it doesn't put me in that box. So people are interested in different things. It, it gives the, the the sort of crossover thing where, you know. When I do these interviews in other cities that I was talking about mm-hmm. earlier in New Orleans, I see that New Orleans connection to Baltimore. I see that Philadelphia connection. I see that DC connection. And I made a concerted effort to say, like, all right, let me do a little bit more work there. It's something that clicks. Whenever I go there, it's a feeling, it's a sensibility that, that pops. And this is the thing that's really interesting, specifically because I've done a lot of the other interviews in uh, Philly, right? Mm-hmm. I've had folks who's like, yo, bro, are you from here? I was like, no, I'm from East Baltimore. I go very specific. I'm from East Baltimore, right? Yeah. And they're like, nah, you from here. And I was like, I am from Baltimore. And it's like, I see the beard, bro. I was like, look, I'm from Baltimore, right? And it is one of those things where they they see that sort of likeness and that approach to it. And even the, the other thing of democratizing, right? Whose stories matter? Whose voices matter? There is a dotted line. If you go back historically and look at all things, like you, you mentioned it earlier about the niche museums and Baltimore City of First. So the City of First does something. If you do a dotted line out of Baltimore to every major city, every major port, Baltimore is is the mothership. Mm -hmm. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because we are connected to every place, whether it was through the, the great migration of people moving to Chicago and other places out of Baltimore. The trains mm-hmm. that took people out of Baltimore, took shipments, took cargo out of Baltimore. If you take and you look at the, um, the enslaved people that were caught here, um, that were manumitted, caught here and taken deep south into Louisiana and other places to work the cotton mm-hmm. uh, fields. We are prime. We yeah. are prime. You've got to recognize, you've got to come to Baltimore and see why are you so important? Mm-hmm. And people do ask all the time, are you from here? And, mm-hmm. I, and I don't turn up my nose like, no, I'm not from here. <laughs> I, I say, um, no, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. But I, I am passionate about Baltimore. I'm just as passionate about Baltimore as I am San Francisco Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Because those are the two places that I have, 
I can now say I have spent the most time and now I am edging up of being here longer <laughs> than I was in, in California. But those are the two places and to me they have very simple, well, no they don't. At one time, well no, I'm going to say my last visit there and checking back with my friends and colleagues back there. So I'm, I'm going to wrap this to another something. So you're going to have to either splice this out yeah. or you can do whatever you want to. But they're very connected um, from a landscape point of view. The water, mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. It, that's what attracted me to it because I was like, this is like a little slice of home, right? Yeah. It looks the same. The problem is, is that uh, for both places, is the gentrification of neighborhoods, number one, mm -hmm. did it in the Bay Area, did it in San Francisco, and the absolute audacity of people with money mm -hmm. building another Baltimore outside of Baltimore that really does give me heartburn. I'm talking about the Baltimore Peninsula. Oof, get spicy, love it. <laughs> that is another, Baltimore Peninsula and, and Harbor East. Yeah. Great attractions for people with money and affluent to come, <laughs> but you are building another city outside the city because so you don't want to deal with the, with the real problems. Mm -hmm. That is a problem for me. They did it in San Francisco too. Bayview, Hunter's Point. Mm -hmm. They put those black people way up on that hill because it was close to the water, and now they're realizing that that is prime property. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to eradicate them. Where are they going to send them? And that's, and that's sort so of it's just really, that, that's what's getting under my skin right now. That's sort of one of the things that you see and you start asking questions. And I, I think what we were talking about beforehand, why, you know, I could take a hint. You know, it's like, oh, I'm just doing the, the, the too real of a thing. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's why certain folks don't really support what I'm doing in a really tangible way. But, you know, when I start asking questions, they get curious. Like, you know, what we were talking about coming up, like that East Baltimore, that, that, you know, the library and all. And I'm like, yeah, it's cool. Let's do that. I was like, so these other entities, I'll start asking questions. Where's the market and where's the stuff over here for people? Same thing I was saying. I said, I walked around here in a bit. It's like... This is a historical area, it's a couple museums over here, this is here, but it's like, where's sort of the investment? And then to hear to your point about, you know, that, that heartburn, it's like, and there are investments in other ways, in other places. And I was like, because it's not a priority. It's like, it's no longer at a point of asking questions as much as, and I know what this is, because it's, because every city's the same. And, you know, it, it was one point when I first started, as you, you, you touched on it earlier, you know, when people talk about well, Baltimore's this and that, it's like to say, this is, you know, I go up there to Philly, I know the same places to go. It's like, there's gonna be a coffee place right there on that corner, and there's the gentrification I ordered. It's, 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 it's kind of like back to back. But, um, you know what you're looking for. So, I, I wanna ask this, I wanna ask this question, because um, film, film has come up. Film has come up in some of the research. So, can you tell us a bit about the film Voices of the Black Butterfly? Because I think all of this connects. I think this connects. Well, they, like I said, the vision. So mm -hmm. let, let me just say this. I am not a filmmaker. 
No one is. <laughs> no, but you know, like I, I've just been realizing, it's like, oh, you're supposed to be telling a story in a film, aren't you? Mm. Okay, so I'm not a filmmaker. I've worked with two really good filmmakers um, in 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 producing some some products that we have out, which is. So I'm going to answer your question, mm -hmm. but let me go back to the original first film that we did, which is um, by any means necessary. Yeah. Um, Stories of survival. Um, 2019, I become the national, the heritage area is, is ED, and I'm like, but, but right the year before that 18, there's just a lot of conversation about the squeegees. Mm -hmm. Blah, 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 they're doing this, they're doing that, I don't want to see them, oh, yeah, 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 whatever. And I, curiosity, I'm like, I wonder why they do it. Mm -hmm. Well... I become the ED. Now I've got, I can do what I want to do, okay? <laughs> I don't have to ask anybody except for my board, can I spend some money like this? And they say, well, you know what? We don't get into the management. You do what you need to do. Okay, fine. So I produced that film. Yeah. It was, it, it, it was heartbreaking. It was truthful. And I'm telling you, nobody hardly wanted to see it. It was hard, mm -hmm. you know. You talk about shopping your products around, saying, "It's like, eh, now. we were lucky to get it on MPT. Um, I was able to take it down to Annapolis. It just—it wasn't like it was a cure-all. It was just opening Pandora's box and saying, "Look." Um, there's a lot of problems. You can't just take people off the corner and think that you're going to change their lives by giving them a job at $15 an hour. Yeah. It's not going to change. Um, so anyway, so I did that. Then we were doing a lot of outreach, and usually what comes up, Rob, is people ask, what is a heritage area? <laughs> it's not tangible. I can't touch it. Yeah. So what is it? So I said, you know what? I'm going to do a film about interviewing um, a very multicultural group of people from different walks of life, different aspects, about what it is about Baltimore that makes Baltimore different. The um, Miles Banks was the videographer, and he did a wonderful job. So he interviewed, um, we interviewed, oh golly, eight, nine, eight or nine people, I cannot remember off the top of my head, we interviewed a number of people, white, black, Chinese, Native American, uh, what else, oh, what else did we hit? Oh, oh Latina X mm -hmm. from uh, the Cielo yeah. Women at Creative Alliance. We interviewed all of these people um, for their, their take on culture, their take on Baltimore, their take on where they fit in, the, and then on top of that, um, Miles did some aerials mm -hmm. of the city. Mm -hmm. We had fantastic weather when he did it. It wasn't dark and gray. Mm -hmm. um, he did some great, and then we introduced the what is a heritage area. Nice. So that is what the intention was from Voices of Blood. Now. I got my film, did it a little backwards. What do you want to call it? At the same time, there was a lot of conversation about um, the legacy of the black butterfly. Yeah. I said, there's no trademark on that. 
you know, so we called it the Voices of a Black Butterfly because we were taking perspectives from all over the butterfly and saying what a heritage area is. Yeah. So that was the impetus for me making that film is because I really wanted people to know what a heritage area is, what, what, why we do this work. There are 62 heritage areas across the country, all of us different. Yeah. Um, I say my. <laughs> my heritage area is probably the smallest um, geographically yeah. because I am in one, um, one jurisdiction, but I am not the full city. Right. So mine's probably the smallest where a lot of other heritage areas go multiple counties, they go in a uh, vertical way instead of a horizontal way. So I'm the smallest, just the right size for me <laughs> because I don't, really, I don't really like politicking. Mm -hmm. When you have multiple jurisdictions, you have to politic with commissioners, county execs from all these different places. You've got to make sure everybody's on the same page. Mm, I got just one set of people that I have to deal with other than um, my state delegates and uh, my federal uh, uh, congressional leads. But that's only at a max. That's three yeah. at, the, at, the, at the federal level, two at the two. And I say that because there's senators, senators at the, at the state level and then city council yeah. so it's just big enough for me and the other thing is that Baltimore is very insular sure yeah. um, very six degrees by separation kind of thing going it's on here right <laughs> um, and so if you know one person then you can easily get to another person because that person knows the other person so um, but that was the point of making voices of a black butterfly yeah. is because I really wanted to educate people on what makes a heritage area we are talking about two different things and people say what's the difference between and I speak to this because of the podcast yeah. there is heritage area and then we talk about culture mm -hmm. okay so uh, people say well they're the, they're, they're the same thing and technically depending on how you talk about them they are the same thing however in our world the way that we defined it heritage is the history of something mm -hmm. culture is the way of doing something mm -hmm. so that's how we do that. So we are not only a heritage area, but we are a cultural preservationist as well. We want to be able to preserve people's culture. Yeah. We don't want to homogenize everybody. You know, that, that, that was the problem in the 60s. Yeah. Perms, <laughs> perms and a little hair. And, and we got in order to fit in assimilation. We don't have to assimilate anymore. Now we can all celebrate who we are individually. We can bring that up to the top. And then we have our history that carries us forward. Okay. And, so and that's what I that's that's what what made me decide to do Voices of the Black Butterfly. Thank you. That's it's one of the things where, especially in doing this, like people people like this. People, you know, and I have different things that I'm doing and they look at the, the card and they see the picture on the card, it's just a cartoon, and they see me. If I'm wearing that hat, which is a real hat, mm -hmm. they're like, You're a guy, you're you're a dude. And I was like, Oh, and people are like, you have groupies. I was like, I do not. I'm just a guy that does a podcast. But the point I think I'm getting at is 
people are looking for sort of the real. People are looking for what feels like an authentic conversation in there, some some truth, if you will, and, and what goes on there. So people gravitate towards that. And if you can work in and pepper in, you know, at least from what I'm doing and how I approach it, if I can pepper in, you know, this is a moment in time. I'm capturing their story at this time. You know, we may do an interview in two years or another year from now or what have you, and that priority may shift, but it's still sort of like capturing this as a moment in time for folks to look further, to, to like continue down that path. That's the invitation, really. Did you happen to notice that after the murder of George Floyd, mm -hmm that people start talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Oof, Jedi, yeah. <laughs> Justice oh. at the beginning too sometimes, yeah. Huh? I'm serious. I, I mean, there were, probably, there were probably universities and individuals that were doing the work prior to that, mm -hmm. but it did not claim those acronyms until that point. I feel like the, the SEO, you know, mm -hmm. the search engine optimization uh, went, went up uh, yeah. because I, I was doing two podcasts actually when during that summer, you know, and I was doing this one and this is, you know, where we're home for the most part. Mm -hmm. So a lot of time to, to, to do more interviews and do more work and spend more time on, on online and mm -hmm. on the Instagram. And I am a six foot four, 300 pound black man. So I, that's what my experience is. And I remember I was very um, vocal about sort of what that experience looks like and it's, you know, related to what happened, you know, the murder of George Floyd and and sort of the the protests and the actions around that. Mm -hmm. And you know, I had people in my DM that didn't happen. Stick to the stick to arts. None of the stuff that you experience. I was like, you're gonna tell me what my experience is. So it's interesting. It's like be real and talk about things in this way. And I'll throw this in there because I got two more questions I want to key in on. But I'll throw this in there because I think it's funny. Um, you know how you have like sort of like civil war reenactments and stuff? So it's like, <laughs> it was a video, it was really funny. Um, it was civil war reenactment and it's this guy, black dude, he pulls up and he's kind of got like shackles on. He's like, I want to play, I want to be a part of this. And they were like, sir, you can't do this. This wasn't happening during this time. He's like, but it was. He's like, can I be in? This is historically accurate, right? And it was like, we don't want to talk about that. And I was like, huh, you don't. Mm -hmm. And it's this, because I noticed at that time, mm -hmm. it's this sort of sanitization of, or sanitizing of what things have been. Because also during that summer, I've seen a, more, a few more disclaimers of things that this, some viewers may find this to be racially insensitive. I was like, but you shot it, wrote it, filmed it, edited it, and chose for it to be there, and now, 20 years removed or what have you, now we, we're, we're considering it. It's already done the damage, it's already made us money. Mm -hmm. So it's, that work is, is happening, obviously, but also it seems like you, people needed to make their statement around it to seem like, we're not messed up. It's like, are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let, let's talk about, um, Programs. Let's talk about programming that's coming up because um, I, I see spring, fall, heritage, recreational programs um, that are coming up. Uh, are any that you can speak to as of now? And um, well, let me yeah. go back and Please. give you a give you a run through. Um, Love run throughs. <laughs> uh, I know. Well, let me give you a run through. I don't. I don't want to start with the the. I want to start with things that are coming and then lead into the thing that's coming up. So. If you recall, I mentioned that when I became an ED, one of the things is about youth. 
um, I'm really, um, okay, so I do a film about by any means necessary. I see these young, um, young men who are, you know, basically they're challenged. They are challenged in a lot of ways. Um, but what, what I would, I'm more concerned about um, giving youth an opportunity to be children. Our yep. young kids don't have a chance to be. They are struggling with so many things at home, at school, in life that um, I wanted to find programs that really can get, let them be children. Yeah. So um, prior to prior, um, my predecessor um, and, the, and Fort McHenry came up with a program called um, Kids in Kayaks. So they identify eighth graders because they're 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 at an age where they you, you think you can trust them. <laughs> I'm saying this in parentheses um, because at that time I remember teachers saying, "Do you know at eighth and seventh and eighth grade they're they're practically insane, don't you? Because the hormones are <laughs> surging and they are just like, and they are. But we picked eighth graders, so eighth graders go out on the middle branch and they learn about the history of the water, what that means to Baltimore, but they also get to have a recreational opportunity at the same time. It's not, you know, all of us learn differently. Mm -hmm. And sometimes through activity, the, the actual lesson or the curriculum will stay in, in, in the mental capacity. Um, so they do kids in kayaks. Well, my idea was let's do kids on bikes, on trails, because I realized that there are a number of young young people in Baltimore that do not know how to ride a bike. I don't know how to ride a bike. Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> Sorry. Shut up. Oh my God. Okay. Well, anyway, that's I was a okay. I was that's a okay. That's okay. It doesn't matter. You still need to know how to ride a bike. Okay. You need to know how to ride a bike. Get Everybody needs to know how to ride a bike. <laughs> so, well, that's the whole intention. And so we are doing ninth and eleventh graders because they can be trusted. Um, to get on a bike and stay within the track. Yeah. Um, so we do biking from Gwen Falls. Um, that's one of the, tr the trails. The other trail is around the fort, which I'll get to that, around the fort to learn about the history of, um, of the fort. And they get to learn how to ride a bike. The practices, they learn how to ride a bike, they learn how to fix a bike, they understand safety, mm -hmm. so that they can go home and be a part of a community. Yeah. Um, you know, so that, that's, those are the two programs. Um, we also have a program for little fourth graders called Every Kid in a Park. Well, it's called something else now, but we won't get into that. And fourth graders are taken to, um, which is outside of my heritage area, so I'll be very honest about that. Um, is Hampton mm -hmm. um, and they learn about the Hampton location and then they go to Carrie Murray Center and they go to Fort McHenry to and it's a part of their fourth grade curriculum nice. and this year we introduce a program called Arts in the Park um, it was mainly a trauma diffuser with an educational component so they had an artist come in set up canvases they gave them different color paints and told them to make their own flag. And they could do it any way they wanted to. So they slammed paint up against a canvas and some of them did well, some of them just expressed themselves, which it was called, it's called a diffuser. Yeah. You know, just get it out because some of these kids are coming from neighborhoods that are just 
riddled with crime and gunshots and they just needed to let go. So that is my place with the children. So that's what we're doing in the fall. So we'll run that program with Baltimore Public Schools um, um, in the fall till it gets too cold and then we come back in the spring and we do it again in the spring. So we are engaging um, Baltimore. We also work with um, charter schools as well. So it's any any of those eighth grade, ninth and 10th, 11th graders and fourth graders that are that want to come and do that. So that's one thing that we're yeah. doing. We have um, our, this is the thing that I really want to put out there. So wherever Please. you are, um, we have the It's a Snap photo contest that is running from April through December 31st. We changed the whole model for this year only is to capture what makes Baltimore charming. It's not just the buildings that make it charming. It's the people. That means it's just going to be a lot of pictures of good old Rob Lee uh, popping up. No, I'm kidding. Okay. Well, that's fine. We'll take a picture of Rob Lee. But, you know, what we want is we want pictures that um, are inclusive of the landscape of Baltimore, but people in them. So yeah. we've got lots of festivals going on. We're back out of the COVID era. So people are out. They're enjoying it. We've had some really hot weather. So there's, that's an opportunity to see pools and people walking their dogs and just uh, so we're hoping that um, by December 31st we will have a collection of photos to do a uh, online jury yeah. and the winners we will select 13 they will have an opportunity to have an exhibit at the Peel Wow, in March yeah. so we're gonna have an exhibit and hopefully we'll have some great pictures showing what makes Baltimore special and charming? You know what I mean? It's Charm City. It's the Monumental City. It's the Star Spangled Banner City. I don't know. Whatever you want to call it. It is a charming place to visit, to work, and play. Yeah. So that's what we're doing. And then what you really want to know about is um, on July the 29th, I believe that is. Yes, it is. It's a Saturday. We are going to um, be um, encore screening um, Voices of a Black Butterfly at Creative Alliance. It is open to the public. It is free. And then we are going to have a community town hall about culture and how it integrates into each neighborhood in Baltimore. And I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you a trivia question. Okay. So how many separate neighborhoods make up Baltimore? The mosaic of neighborhoods. I, I wrote that in a later question. Uh, I want to say 50-ish. Wow, there's 274 eclectic neighborhoods. Really? Yes. Wow. The tapestry. Every place has, I mean, it might only be four blocks, but it's a neighborhood. Okay, yeah. so like Union, the, the Holland's Market yeah. neighborhood, there's 274. Wow. The heritage area only has 136 in our um, in our encatchment. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so yeah, it's about half. So, we are a city of neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Each one of those neighborhoods has a story. Yeah. Now, what makes that story is very unique. 
It might be the immigration story. It might be um, segregation. But each one has its own story. So that's what it is. Now, that is what we're going to do. And more, what's going to be my biggest question at this town hall, which I'm not going to be the facilitator. Uh, Janine Whitfield from uh, American Visionary Arts Museum is the facilitator. But my biggest question is, and this is to you. <laughs> I want a spot here. You're on the spot because you are East Baltimore person, yes, right? Yes, I am. Gang, gang. <laughs> I am, believe me, my head hurts. My head hurts. Uh-huh. Baltimore East is Berea. one city. It is not two. It is not North and South Carolina. It is one city. How come we've got two different sets of people? It's, it's just different vibes. It, well, you know what? Ain't no lie about that. But when you're an outsider coming in and you're, and you're trying to do collective history yeah. and storytelling, you're like, what you talking about? It's, it's, the, it's like the thing where like my partner, she's a New Yorker. Oh my God. So it's, it's a version of that. When she came down, she was like, no, I get it. She's like, I she have lived, she's like, I've lived in all the boroughs. And people say, oh, it's just New York. And she's like, that's Manhattan. So that's number one. Yeah, but, uh, yeah okay, okay. But, but Baltimore is very small in that regard as well. Yes. Whereas New York is enormous. enormous. So, yeah. And I get it where you could go out to Long Island and live your whole life in Long Island and never go into Manhattan. I cannot get it through my head <laughs> that you live in East Baltimore and you have never been to Carroll Park. I have been to Carroll Park. No, you are a traveled man. You don't count. (laughs) You're right, you're right. But you don't count. I don't understand lived in Baltimore your whole life and never been to Patterson Park. I'll say say this. This is the... It blows my mind. This this is the thing I would hear all the time. And I would hear it um, at at Morgan when I was there. You would um, talk to different folks. You had folks from DMV, Baltimore, somewhere. Right, right, right. And I just remember one guy in the back was like, y'all don't go over east. And someone from D.C. asked me, what does he mean? I was like, he's likely in East Baltimore. You know, will not me in West Baltimore. will not go over East Baltimore. It's like, Baltimore's not that big. I was like, I know. And that's the rub. It's just, it's, um, it's, it's just amazing to me. And I cannot, my um, staff member, outreach manager, she's a West Baltimore. And we were talking about, she was thinking about moving, right? And I was like, well, this is a cute little house. She goes, that's East Baltimore. I'm not moving over there. I'm like, what? This is a great house. I'm not living over there. I can't explain it to you. I don't want to live over there. It's and, it's, and we had a big old, we had a big old rub about that. It's almost like being from a different country in some regards, like, like a lot of my family's from West Baltimore and mm-hmm. I was born in like West Baltimore. So it's like, oh, okay, cool. But it's like when I was five, I moved to Lafayette Projects and we've been in the East Baltimore for the last 33 years. So it's just like very much East Baltimorean, but, uh, but, uh, you know, some of my other family members, my dad and my brother, they live out there in the county and they refuse to come into the city. And I was like, there's Do like, they really? it's a whole other angle. You know, it's like, they don't want to come to the city. No, and I was like, everything is here though. Like, where, there's where, nothing, which, which county are they in? Baltimore County or Anne Arundel? Like, they're, they're in Cockeysville. So, they're, yeah. Yeah, they're close enough. It's like, you have a club going to Pennsylvania. I was like, Dutch country? You go to Dutch country, but won't come into the city. I was like, all right, cool. You get it. Yeah, that makes sense. But you know, it's so it's. But that's that's the big question that will be on my. If, if they give me a question, it's like, so 
What would what would make you go to West Baltimore? What kind of event mm-hmm. or what kind of activity would draw you to East Baltimore? What is it that makes you? And so the other piece of this, uh, the reason why this is a curious thing to me is because as a heritage area, I re- represent both sides. One hundred percent. Yeah. And so what I'm trying to do is, and what I fail, I we, not just me by myself. What I failed to do is to crack the egg in East Baltimore. So I have been engaging um, the East Baltimore Historical Library and having this event at Creative Alliance. I really want to get the heritage area to get more engaged in East Baltimore. Yeah. Because they don't they don't even know I'm over here. You know what I'm saying? They're just like, oh, that's a West Baltimore thing. I represent the entire um, structure of storytellers, whether you're from east, west, north, or south. Yeah. So um, that's one reason why we picked Creative Alliance. Um, they're a great partner, so we decided to go there. And then Janine is fantastic. Absolutely. And she said I would be more than happy. To, she didn't know I was trying to get her uh, somebody I know that she's very close to to be the facilitator and be the guest. And she says, Oh no, this is mine. <laughs> okay. So, um, and then the last thing I really want to emphasize to you um, and your listeners in this podcast, and especially um, those of African American descent um, that are native to Baltimore, have lived here all their lives, their parents lived here all their lives their grandparents lived all their lives and their great-great-grandparents is that I want them to engage at Fort McHenry. Now, we've got two problems, okay? Mm-hmm. There's the flag, an issue. Mm-hmm. There is the War of 1812 mm-hmm. and the Battle and Defense of Baltimore in 1814. In that time, there were black people that were still enslaved. Yeah. Okay. Now, this is where I get really serious and I get really passionate. That fort could not have existed without black people. Like I said earlier, life, limb, blood, loss. To build it. Yeah. I'm not talking about no battles. You built it. Yeah. It is sacred ground to you. Do not let that alienate you from going there. It is a park. The fort, it's called Fort McHenry because there is a fort there. Mm-hmm. But in the bigger picture of everything, it is a beautiful fort um, and park with ramparts where you can see the water. You can sit there, you can ride your bike, you can walk your dog, you can have a lunch. I want people to take it back. Take it back. Don't let it belong to somebody else. It belongs to you because if you are native to this place called Baltimore, and I'm talking about generational native, it belongs to you because more than likely there isn't a brick, there isn't a stone that some black person did not put their hands on. So it is sacred ground. And I want people to recognize that. So on Defender's Day, which is normally September the 12th, on September the 16th is the official Defender's Day celebration where you will see 
uh, hundreds of 42 to 75 year old white people out there. I do want to see some black people represented other than myself and a few others. Mm -hmm. Come to the fort, make representation, stand on that hollow ground and claim it back. Don't give it to anybody else. We have given up enough. That's great. That's great. Thank you. Um, I think that's actually where we can end on the real questions. Okay. But you got to get the rapid fire questions. I heard that before. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. So, rapid fire. Just, okay. This is the way. This is the way this this, this works. I got. Mm, I got five of them. Okay. No four. I got four. I just have four. So you're you're, you're lucky. You just have four. Okay. Uh, you know, don't overthink them. Just whatever the, the answer is. It's like, I said what I said. <laughs> All right. So here we go. Yeah. Here's the first one. What was the last book you read? Oh, okay. This has come up before. I have a Gullah Geechee um, New Testament Bible sitting on my bed. And I am trying to get through that okay. uh, Bible. Because the language is very different. <laughs> than what I've ever heard before. So my friend that is down in the Gullah Geechee um, heritage area, she sent me the Bible and then it's sitting on my bed uh, nightstand and I tried to get me a, <laughs> a read every now and then. I, I, I hear you. Okay. Um, so because I listened to a previous interview of yours, I modified this, this next question a little bit. Uh huh. Uh, what is the most fascinating Baltimore historical fact you've learned in the last year? Because I remember you qualified it for the person asking you. I liked it. No, last year, God, what did I say? I have no idea. No, no, you, were, you like they, they didn't have it on a time frame. You're like, nah. Well, this is what I've learned in the last year, and I was like, okay, this is good. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you're gonna make me think that one over because I don't know what I said. Uh, <laughs> well, just uh, you can just say anything that comes to mind in terms of like just an interesting factoid that's popped up. Oh, there's just you know what there are very there's a lot of stuff I don't know that one day I learned. Um, so. Um, I'm doing the research for National Park Service for um, the America 250. Mm -hmm. So we were trying to identify different people that would be good for this. And um, if I remember correctly, so I may be misquoting, somebody's gonna call me and say you're wrong, but I, I, what I remember from the historian is that um, um, Baltimore had the first Planned Parenthood um, uh, facility. Yeah. Um, and it was for all women. It wasn't just for white women. And uh, in light of what just happened in the last year, mm -hmm. um, that that there there goes another first for Baltimore. Okay, that's cool. that's one. You've described Baltimore as a mosaic or a quilt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh -huh, you know, I listen to podcasts. Uh, could you tell us in that in that vein? Could you tell us two hidden gems or lesser known spots? It could be any type of spot. It could be like I like to go over there to get this chicken. That's fire. But also, I like to get my smoothies here. What is the lesser known spots that are like on your list of must go to places in Baltimore? <laughs> um, Which are two hundred and seventy two seventy four uh -huh. neighborhoods. <laughs> yeah. So the the one place that I I've enjoyed is the Gwyn's Falls. Um, I went there, well, I actually was in, um, what is that? Um, Windsor Hills, Windsor Mills, mm -hmm. Windsor Hills, it's Windsor Hills, isn't it? Yeah, Windsor Mills, it's Windsor Mills. I was in Windsor Mills about 
12 years ago mm -hmm. and didn't know where I was. Yeah. Okay. Um, great. And then later years, I was able to go um, to that same community to take my godson to um, Outward Bound. Yeah. And during that, I was able to experience the outdoors. Yeah. And so I think that it is just beautiful and it's inside a city, which was kind of neat. And then I also like Montebello, um, Lake Montebello. I yes. love Lake Montebello. Near City College, where I went oh, to school. Well, I just wa I walked around it yeah. and I really did think that, you know, because, you know, you all, you're always seeking those things that you're nostalgic for. And Absolutely. it reminded me of um, Lake Merritt in Oakland. Nice. So, therefore, yes, those are, those are my hidden gems. Now, um, I got a problem with food because I don't eat just anything. <laughs> but I am stuck. And this is a shout out to them. Everybody's going to say, why would you pick them? I am stuck on Icky Ben. Oh, oh, that's fire. I am stuck mm -hmm. on Crunchy Shrimp. And tempura broccoli. Tempura broccoli is fire. I love yeah. it. And so that is that was my hidden gems. And then I found out that there's three of them, so I could go into three different ones yeah. anywhere I am. I could go to a bacon bin. So this is this is the last one. This one was retired for a while because people were like really like, look, man, that's a political question, bro. You can ask me that. It's a ridiculous question. It's as simple as what is your preference, chunky? or creamy when it comes to your peanut butter? People thought it was a political question. That's how like controversial see, some see, people felt see, it. Now, see, that, mm, I eat peanut butter. I don't care. <laughs> see, like whatever it is. Uh, if it's chunky, I don't, I, I, when I go to the store, I don't go say, oh, I gotta have chunky. I like both of them. Yeah. Now the problem with chunky is that it tears your bread up. If you use, if you just use regular bread and you don't toast your this bread, that's the only thing that kind of tears it up. But I like, I like uh, both of them. Yeah, yes. I, 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 it depends. For me, it depends on the jelly, right? So. So what kind of jelly you like? I like strawberry. Oh yeah. no. Strawberry preserves the. Oh no, I like grape. See, that's what you got to that question. That's that question. Great. What grape is just too uh, generic? <laughs> it's a little yeah, generic. Yeah, it's generic. Okay. I, well, like, I like the, uh, the French mixed berry one with the. Well, the let me just tell you a story. <laughs> when you grew up in a house where the people in the house make grape jelly. Well, that's different. That's much different. That's why you like grape jelly. I grew up in a house where we, they made grape jelly. But I'll tell you something. So. This is what I used to eat as a kid. On Sunday, my grandma would say, we're gonna bake a cake. Mm -hmm. Now she wasn't gonna bake no cake where it was gonna have frosting and everything else. She'd bake a cake after our dinner. And guess what I used to put on it? Yes. As people say I'm country, I am not country. Applesauce. That's not bad, actually. It's delicious, and especially if the applesauce is fresh, because grandmother oh. would go pick apples, yeah. and she would come home and she would make applesauce, because applesauce, real applesauce, is not yellow. No, it's not. It's pink, because they leave the skin on it as they stir it, and we would take and have hot cake so delicious, with actually. applesauce over it, and that would be the snack, and I'm telling you, it was delicious. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. So, anyway, that's... Um, that, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. See, that was like a little factoid to kind of wrap on. Um, so 
one, I want to thank you for coming on to this podcast and spending some time with me and invite me into the office. And, uh, and two, I want to invite and encourage you in these final moments to uh, share the website where folks can check out more. Uh, the floor is yours. I don't have much to say other than go to explorebaltimore.org, reach out and find us on Instagram. Uh, we are also on Facebook. And if you really want to talk to me, you can find me on LinkedIn. That's what I like. I like to have interactions on LinkedIn. <laughs> I can have real conversations with people. But no, I, um, I really appreciate this opportunity, Rob. Um, to talk about the heritage area because it is something that people can't touch. Yeah. So it's hard for them to get, it's like, what's a heritage area? They, they, you, yeah. you should see their face. Their face is like, what's that? Um, it's hard to touch, but it is just basically a collective place of our history, our culture, and the landscape and what makes this place wonderful. And I will tell you, I'm not supposed to do this, but there are 62 heritage areas across the country. Yeah. And all you gotta do is go on to NPS and look up National Heritage Area. And our intention is to work with our partners, work with businesses, work with local government to encourage heritage tourism, which means taxpayers paying money, um, make quality of life, for everyone, not just for some, and a place to play. Yeah. It's your it's your backyard park. So that's what a heritage area is. And there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Shanti Daniels from the Baltimore National Heritage Area. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art, culture, community in and around your neck of the woods. You've just got to look for it.